RPC Sermons Podcast. Today's episode is a special episode from our Facebook Live series entitled Closing the Distance. These are unscripted conversations with the pastors of RPC and various special guests reflecting on topics from our ongoing sermon series. If you're interested in learning more about this community of faith, visit roswellprez.org. Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome to Closing the Distance. My name is Jeff Myers, one of the pastors here at Roswell Presbyterian Church. And on Mondays at noon, we have the opportunity to talk with the preaching pastor from the day before. As we close the distance, we talk about the important themes of the church, get behind uh, kind of just the sermon and get some of the details, hear what went in, some of the further thoughts, kind of do some digressions, maybe get into some more practical applications and surely we will do that today. Lindsay, you gave a fantastic uh, sermon as we're continuing in our sermon series, Family Meeting. Now, you. you started off with a great example, I think, of just your own family at Thanksgiving. Why, why are families often so difficult? <laughs> well, first of all, thanks for your kind words. I appreciate that. And um, it's so funny that you bring up the opening story. So my parents, so kind and thoughtful, they um, joined us via live stream yesterday so they could hear the sermon. And my mom said that when I opened with, let me tell you a story that describes the Lee family, she starts sweating. She's like, what story are you going to tell? And is it appropriate for church? (laughs) 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 Which I thought was hysterical. That and that the story that I told yesterday about the way that each of the that I reacted and then the way each of my siblings reacted um, is such a quintessential story of how each of us responds and things. And so it's my, always my go-to. I said, don't worry, I'll always tell that story because it's my go-to. So she had texted my brother, the basketball coach brother, and said, you need to listen to this sermon and see if you agree, if you remember the story going the same way. Because sometimes I might potentially exaggerate a story sometimes. So uh, apparently my brother watched and he was like, yeah, huh, huh, that sounds about right. That's how it went. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. He takes on his coach voice and it's time to go. Yeah. But anyway, I, you know, thinking about families and just um, how just complicated that even the concept of family is, especially as we're going into these holidays, I, you know, I think there's this expectation that these are the people that know us the best, theoretically, these are the people that are supposed to love us the best, theoretically, Um, it's supposed to be the safest. And, and that's kind of what the expectation is. And so anytime that that someone lets us down in that expectation, it hurts even more because it's supposed to be a safe place. Your, your parent is supposed to love you unconditionally. Your child is supposed to love you unconditionally. And so when they say or do something um, that demonstrates that that is not the case. It's incredibly painful because it's this 
very intimate part of you. It's literally part of how you're woven together as a person um, because there's this person that's supposed to be taking care of you as you grow. They're supposed to meet your physical needs, your emotional needs. And, and so when they don't, it, it it's much more painful than somebody that's, you know, not, isn't supposed to be um, mm-hmm. taking care of you on such an intimate level. And so it, I mean, you know, the, and that's part of why the, the staff was struggling so much when we were all trying to figure out how are we going to wrap our minds around this idea of family? Because we, even as a staff, when we sit down and kind of go around the room, the, some of the family hurt and trauma that exists is very painful. And so then when you look bigger than that and um, in the whole congregation, there's just, it's just really, there's some really painful things. And then we're going into a season that reminds us of how painful that stuff can be. So it's mm-hmm. really hard. So, so um, I don't know if you've ever read uh, Leo Tolstoy's Anna Karenina, but he begins it with this kind of aphorism. It says, happy families are all the same. Unhappy families are unhappy in their own unique way. That's a rough translation. What okay. he's saying there is he's saying, it's really difficult to be happy. There's mm. like very few ways to be, have a happy family, but there are a million ways to have, be unhappy. You know, it just takes a little, a little something to go wrong and everybody's unhappy. Right. And that's what, that's kind of one of these points he's making, I think about life and not just about families. So what are some of the things I think both personally, like, so in our biological or the family we're born into, what are some of the habits, the ways that we can create a happy family? You think that you've seen successful maybe in your own family, but also just in your experience of working with families for a long time. Oh, that's a great question. Um, okay, let me just think a minute. I, you know, one of the things um, I've had, I've been doing several premarital counseling meetings lately. And so maybe this is why this is on the top of my brain. But, you know, when I meet with a couple that's getting married, we always spend time on family of origin. What kind of family did you grow up in? What were the dynamics in that family? Who had the strong personalities? Who made the decisions? Who how did you feel about the way your parents connected with one another? And how did you feel about the way they connected with you? And I, I do think um, being really honest about your own experience of family um, and taking time to really work through that, I think is really important because I think that we learn a lot of lessons, right? Like, um, like it or not, what you see modeled before you impacts how you're going to go about your family habits. And so if your family modeled really healthy habits that you felt nurtured you and took care of you, then you'll strive. I think you'll strive to, to nurture those things as well in your own, when you're setting up your family. But if, if there were unhealthy habits, then I think you either fall into it by default, or you're going to make a concerted effort to, to make those, to not do those things. And so I do think kind of, the more self-work that you can do about being thoughtful about this was my role in my family growing up. This is what was taught to me about how to communicate. This is what was taught to me about how to handle conflict. Um, how do I, what does time together look like? How valuable is it? How do we support one another? I think if you can reflect on your understanding of that and be really aware of what your understanding of that is, it'll help you be aware of what you're taking into your relationships, either as you're getting married or having children or, or even just the people that are like family to you, the people that are really close to you. Um, so I do think that that's really important, but I, I, you know, we are people of faith. And so I think developing habits of faith together, I think gives you a, um, 
a common language and a common understanding, right? So because we are um, we are Christians who have this amazingly uh, a God who loves us unconditionally and demonstrates grace to us um, and, and is tenacious in demonstrating grace to us. I think that that gives us kind of a, uh, a standard, uh, not that we can ever achieve it, but kind of, it shows us what we're shooting for in our relationships. And so then when we know, and we're engaging with somebody that's important to us, that that's, that we're constantly trying to figure out what does it look like to get towards redemption and reconciliation and unity. And some of those themes that we see coming out in Romans and, uh, that one passage that we read from Paul about, you know, pursuing unity and, um, blessing those who persecute you and, uh, you know, just some of those different behaviors. I think that Paul's walking through, these are some of the healthy habits for when you're setting up intimate relationships with people, be it in your immediate family or anybody that you're close to. Right. So Um, as you're talking, it reminds me of a a debate I had with a a number of my friends. um, I think it was my early twenties and uh, you know, it was kind of like late at night, you're kind of debating and, um, and we were talking about, this is before any of us were married or had kids or anything like that, but it, the disagreement was over. Should you fight in front of your children? Should a, oh. a couple fight in front of their children? And I'd always thought like, no, like, you no, a couple shouldn't fight at all. Right. And the buddy of mine said, no, I really think, I really think you got to f- like learn to fight fair and fight in healthy mm-hmm. ways and model that for your kids so that they see that and they can live that out. And where do you fall in the spectrum of your opinion? Because you've done a lot of counseling ministry over the years with, with families and you have your own family. So where, where do you fall in that debate? Yeah, I always ask in premarital counseling, I always ask the couples if their parents fought in front of them um, because I've had couples that have, that have said, no, my parents never fought in front of us. I don't think that they ever fought at all. And so then we circle back and talk about, well, what does healthy communication look like? Yeah. Because I, I think, you're just not going to get along with somebody a hundred percent of the time. And so I think your point is incredibly wise. Like this idea that we've got to think about what does it look like to engage in conflict in a way that is healthy and how do we model that for the people that live in our house or, or even the people that are close to us. So even if you have a major conflict with a spouse or a loved one, then when you are out with your friends, are you bad bad mouthing that person or spouse or whatever? Um, so, because I, I think that the way you handle conflict is bigger than just the conversation with that particular person. Um, so, no, I, I, um, I very much believe in modeling healthy conflict. I, I will certainly confess it's not something I have perfected the art of. So, sure. while Scott and I certainly have fought in front of the kids, there have been plenty of times that I've circled back and said, you know, like, okay, let's talk about maybe I took that too far or whatever, because I'm, I want them to know that conflict is healthy, but sometimes you get swept up and then you're like, Oh, I'm going to need to back that up just a little bit. I got to backtrack so I can talk about what healthy conflict is. What are some features? How would you define healthy conflict? So I think a lot of us, if we've never, if we've never seen it, if we, if we don't even know what you're talking about, maybe we're conflict avoidant. Um, maybe we're like just angry in conflict and what, what, what would be like, maybe some features, some, some aspects of healthy conflict. Okay. So I have gotten very big in the last couple of years about, well, one, okay. One, 
there is this super wise human in the church who has been such a mentor to me. And we were serving at home communion together one time and conflict came up and he said, um, conflict is inherently a good thing because if it's, if it's handled well, both parties learn and get better or all parties involved can learn and get better. And so ever since then, I've tried to think about, okay, well then what does it look like to engage in conflict in a way that is helpful at least um, so that we're going to get to the other side. And I, in the last few years, especially with kind of the, the way the world has decided to communicate or not communicate with one another, I have decided it's not just, I think we have to be really clear that just because everybody seems to not, um, what words do I want? People need to be able to say what they're thinking. Like just because people aren't speaking, that doesn't mean there's peace in the land. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So people need to be able to say, this is where I stand on it. But at the same time, we got to be able to listen to the other person and figure out in a, in a conversation what that looks like to get to a place that we at least can both live with. We don't, we are not necessarily going to agree with it, but we've got to figure out how to both live with it. And so everybody needs to feel comfortable and safe enough to say, this is where I stand. And this is the aspect of this. That's really important to me. And I want to make sure you hear that. And, you know, but what I hear you saying, you know, there's lots of healthy conversation, um, but uh, conversation uh, methods that we can talk about. But I have to tell you, this is my favorite, favorite thing that we got out of this premarital counseling training that we did a long time ago. And so now Scott and I do it. I encourage all my couples to do it. It sounds ridiculous, but it has changed our marriage. Okay. I'm not even exaggerating, even though I am prone to hyperbole. Okay. So Scott and I, and I did not tell, I didn't, I don't have permission from Scott to share the story. So uh, this is not not included in healthy conflict folks. Yeah. Do as she says, not as she does. That's right. That's right. So we used to get in knockdown drag out fights about Sundays because we used to have all these meetings on Sunday nights. And so Scott would be in charge, you know, the kids were little. And so I would be at work all the day long and I would come home at night after a session meeting or something. And literally the kitchen would look like the rapture happened in the middle of dinner. Like there is like food everywhere, half eaten, like bites on forks and just this mess in the kitchen. And, you know, Scott's at home taking care of two little kids and there's just a lot going on. And, but I've been at work all day. I don't want to clean up this mess. Every, every Sunday we were fighting. Okay. So we go to this marriage workshop and they're like, pick a conflict you have regularly, which we automatically knew which conflict we wanted to talk about. And they, there's this whole kind of process they talk you through, but one part of the process is you have to come up with 10 possible solutions. Okay. And they're like, you're going to think there's only two solutions, what he wants, what she wants in our case, he and she, and he's, they said, but you have to do 10. You have to, you cannot get up until you come up with 10 solutions. And so, you know, after like three or four, you're just coming up with crazy stuff because you have to fill in all the blanks. But because then we're now thinking outside of the box, we're thinking outside of our own, like my irritation about, you know, I feel like he's not taking care of this and his irritation because he's trying to, he's exhausted. So (laughs) for years, the solution was every Sunday night dinner was pasta on paper plates because it was one pot and then throw away dishes. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't great for the environment there for a couple of years, but it, it was very good for our marriage. 
So anyway, it was a, a huge, awesome tool and I recommend it all the time, but just this idea of kind of stepping outside of what's immediately in front of us, what we are focused in on, like stepping back and having a conversation and being creative and how we're approaching the issue. That was huge. It was huge. That's so, awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. That's so funny. I have to <laughs> institute that at my house every night. Yeah. So yeah. we've been talking a lot about like our, our kind of the family we're born into or marriage, you know, nuclear family, nuclear family, kind of like that. But um, I want to talk about the family you choose. That was the title of your sermon yesterday. Mm-hmm. And when you think about the family of faith here at RPC, who's a part of your family that you, they wouldn't be a part of your family uh, or who you interact with um, if it wasn't for the church? Like what kinds of people do you meet here at RPC that you wouldn't meet in the rest of your life if it wasn't for RPC? Oh gosh. I, you know, the, we regularly at the Slocum house reflect on how incredibly grateful we are for the church family at Roswell Presbyterian church. We, um, Scott and I are the only ones who moved away from the families we grew up in. So all my family is still in South Carolina um, Scott's family is all still in Florida and outside of Thanksgiving, all holidays are religious holidays. So we can't travel back to be with family, um, for holidays. And so we, we have been so well loved and cared for. So, I, I mean, growing up when the kids are in preschool, grandparents day was like special friend day and somebody from the church was coming and, um, every Christmas and Easter were with somebody else from the church. And, um, you know, when Scott's mom died, there were, we had like a million edible arrangements at the house and, and people showing up and, um, yeah, I, I could go on and on with stories of very specific and particular when my kids were born. Oh my goodness. Okay. When, so Brandon, has a person, my oldest has a personality like his dad. He's a little more introverted. And sometimes it takes someone like me, who's a little more extroverted, a minute to remember that not everybody wants to be big and loud. And so even as a baby, I would bring Brandon to a big church thing. And I would just assume that of course, Brandon wants to be passed around because he's such a cute kid and everybody wants to talk to him. Well, even as a little kid, Brandon is like, whoa, this is a lot. He's getting fussy. And and there uh, was a church member who was like, hey, your kid already is an introvert. And she like got me this book about introverted kids and how to help understand them better. And we just have been really well loved and cared for in really specific ways by this congregation. The people who have modeled for me what it looks like to be a parent, people who have modeled for me what it looks like to be a woman who works full time, people who have modeled for me what it looks like to be a wife. Um, yeah, all, all kinds of things I'm just really, really grateful for so many people. Is that the kind of question you're asking? I can go. Okay. Okay. So, um, you know, we were talking a lot about the, you know, kind of husband wife relationship, you know, marriage spouses, kids and parents. And now if we think about the the church, it's a little different, right? Because yeah, it's a volunteer association. We choose to be here and we can, mm-hmm. there, and especially in North Metro Atlanta, I mean, there's a thousand other churches, a lot of them very good that you could go to. 
Mm-hmm. So what are the things that you that that's that are sticky that keep the the, the the magnetic pole, the tractor beam that keeps people connected to their family of faith here at RPC? What's distinctive? Oh well I okay. I want it there are so many things that I really appreciate about the way Roswell Presbyterian Church um, approaches ministry and mission and worship. Um you know, one of the things that's a huge value for us has always been a huge value is worship. And what I love, love, love about the way we do worship is that we, we are intentionally thinking about every, we want every single part of our faith family to worship together. And so the work that the worship team and, and now kind of the whole staff is constantly doing to connect people in that way, right? So there's a children's moment the or the youth are singing or we're streaming it for the people that can't come into the building or, you know, the choir is singing a variety of music. We're thoughtful in the hymns because everybody being in that space and connecting with one another and with the Lord is so important to us. And I think that that kind of gives us this um, solid foundation then for us to grow on from there. I, I think intergenerational is a really important part of our congregation that we're constantly looking about how we're connecting people and, um, and people of all generations. Um, I think serving together, we're really big on figuring out ways to serve together. We, um, are constantly, you know, with our Wednesday nights right now, we're focused around serving so that we do, we'll have a, a, a family of all you know, generations coming together, or we have somebody that comes and they live by themselves and then they get to plug in with their around children or they're around older people, or they're getting to connect with all sorts of different people. And, um, so I think that those things are really important that we're serving together. We're worshiping together. Um, yeah, I, I think those are the, those two things, the serving together and the worshiping together, I think are the two stickiest things about Roswell Presbyterian Church. And we, last night at our session meeting, um, uh, the membership people kind of gave us a breakdown of our age demographics at RPC. And essentially, I mean, it skews a little bit more, um, like I think the highest percentage was 38%, is that right? 30, somewhere between 35 and 38% um, for toward the younger dynamic. But essentially our congregation breaks down into kind of a third, a third, a third, like we're, we're pretty well spread out with a little bit of skew toward, um, the younger ages. But it, it, my point is that there's a wide diversity and in a lot of mainline denominational churches, you don't see that anymore. And so I think that, I think Roswell Prez being really intentional about caring for all of the people and connecting them to one another and building a community, you know, we don't rely on the senior pastor to do everything. Like we pull in the community of all the saints and serve together and care for one another. And I think that's really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's a lot of stuff we do that's kind of implicit, I think, um, in terms of uniting people uh, mm-hmm. as a family of faith. But there's some things that we do that are explicit. And I think yesterday, um, it was my honor that you uh, baptized our daughter, Mem. And that was a really cool moment for our family but also to watch the intersection of our, like our family, the Myers, Kiros family, but also with the RPC family. What are some ways when we do the sacrament of baptism, are we making explicit those family connections and the commitments we have one to another? 
Oh yeah, that's good. That's good. You you know, the, um, having that elder stand up there with the, the baptismal family, I think is a, it certainly is a message to the congregation, but I think it's also a message that we're giving to the family. Like we're literally standing by you as, as you are engaging in this really meaningful uh, ritual and sacrament. Um, we're, we're literally standing by you in this moment and we're committing to do that as we move on from here. And then you get to hear the congregation make those same vows that yes, we, we are committed. You know, we're going to teach Sunday school and we're going to go on mission trips with your child and, you know, when I was in seminary, I used to struggle a lot with infant baptism, believer baptism, like how does all this work and why are we doing both? And maybe it really should just be, I really struggled with infant baptism just in general until I stood up there with my child and I heard this congregation making vows on behalf of my child. And it's overwhelming to think that these, to think about kind of the hours. And now that you know, my kids are teenagers and I'm looking at the hours and the care that so many people have put into my children. Um, it's overwhelming. And, and I know that they, they, they are loving all of these children that they're taking these commitments for. They're taking that commitment seriously. And so I think that that, I, I really love that we have an elder that stands up there with the families. I, I really love that we're asking the congregation, those questions, um, I like that it's a, it's a public moment you know, we, we don't call you in on a Tuesday afternoon and just kind of knock it out really quick, but we're like, no, we want to do this as a family We're we're doing this all together because it's who we are as a faith family is so important. And so I think that that is, I think that that's a really explicit, um, intentional thing that we're doing as well there. Absolutely. Okay. So we're in the midst of our family meeting kind of generosity season. One of the things every family has to wrestle with are financial matters. What are we asking people to do in terms of their RPC, uh, RPC finances and economic financial matters? Yeah. Yes. And I think that we should be really clear about that, that that's, we are asking people to financially commit to the Roswell Presbyterian church. Now, we would love for everybody to spend lots of time in prayer and with their budget and to come out um, committing to 10% tithe out of the budget. But we, I mean, we understand people have got to talk and pray and think about how to be most faithful. And, you know, quite frankly, there's a a pastor in Texas that um, I stay in touch with and at their church, her thing is like, you know, a 10%, your your goal is a 10% tithe unless it's, um, unless financially you're at a place where you, you are able to give above and beyond that 10%. Like their uh, scripture calls us to sacrificial giving. And if it's, if, if there's more then like go in and <laughs> give more. And, um, and so we are, we, what we would love for people to make it the, the beauty on our end about a commitment is then we are able to use that to put the budget together. And so if, if the people of the church can say, this is what we're going to commit to give, then it helps us put together a, a budget. And so there's a practical piece to it. But I think there's also a spiritual piece to it as well, that if we sit down and we say, this is what our, our household is committing to give, then there's, a, there's an accountability. There's something that we know, like we are setting this up that, that we're going to commit to giving this the next year. So I, I think it's both, a, there's a spiritual aspect to it as well as just a practical aspect on, on our behalf so that we can do a budget. And there, there's just so many good things that are going on around here. And I, I hope that people heard yesterday when we were talking about 
the number of hours that this congregation is gifting the building itself to the congregation. So that literally our electric bill, the heating and air, those are, those have literally become mission, gifts of mission to the community because we're not charging the Drake House to come in and use our, our facility every day. And we're not charging all of these different ministries to come in, but it's, you know, more on our facility staff and um, more buying more toilet paper and more cleaning supplies and have the lights on more. So it's, but it's this gift of mission that we're able to do, but there's just a real practical matter. And so we, we really want people to be committed financially to, to those ministries that, that we're doing. And if people feel called to give, there's mailers that's gone out to all our uh, households in the congregation, but also you can go always 24 hours a day, roswellpress1s.org forward slash give, that's G-I-V-E, and you can make a pledge and a commitment for next year there. And you can also give of your uh, tithes and offerings to support the ministry, making a big impact here in Roswell, North Metro Atlanta, and around the world. All right, as a close, Lindsay, um, how often are you uh, listening to Sister Sledge? Be honest. <laughs> I think that we are family might be my, my primary only uh, Sister Sledge song. <laughs> but but I mean, you can't you can't say a sentence about being family without everybody automatically singing that song. I was like, we might as well say it out loud because everybody's coming in their head at this point. So <laughs> that is true. That is true. Well, what are you going to be doing this week? What do we need to uh, what are you doing for fun? What do we need to be watching, listening to? Anything? Um, well, you know, we are um, we are wrapping up. You know, we're very big into uh, teenage sports at my house right now. So we've got basketball tryouts for our middle schooler. Uh, our our high school football player is has one more regular season game, and so then we've got our eyes on playoffs after that. And then our oldest in the marching band. We're in the middle of marching band season, so we're getting ready for the final marching band competition of the season. So. We've, we've got we've got a couple of things going on for fun yeah. at our house. We've got a lot of moving parts. Well, yes. that's awesome. We love your family. We love the Slocums. Thank you for your great message yesterday. Thank, Thank you, everybody, you. for tuning in, for closing the distance. This Monday, we'll be back next Monday to talk about 1 Corinthians 16, where the Apostle Paul asks the Gentiles to give to the church his ministry in Jerusalem. And it's uh, kind of a dicey uh, matter where a lot of finances, uh, diversity, um, generosity, uh, all kind of come together. And I look forward to exploring that um, on Sunday and then in conversation on Monday. So Lindsay, have a great week and thank you for closing the distance. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Right, Bye. -bye. Bye.